All year round, Frontier Home Products and Design has what you need to make your home comfortable and beautiful. Relax on a new timber tech deck designed by Frontier's experts. A new fireplace from Frontier Home Products Fireplace Gallery adds warmth and serenity to any home. Beauty and versatility at Frontier Home Products and Design Center, 4213 Peachtree, 5th next to the Bayfront Highway. Frontier Home Products and Design Center. Discover a new PA contractor number PA039007. Jody Crumpy, director of the Erie City Mission Thrift Stores and Donation Center. When you shop at one of our two thrift stores or drop off items at our donation center, you are providing a meal. You are housing a man in our shelter, helping men and women overcome addiction and giving our inner city youth an opportunity to learn. I want to thank you for making a difference. This is our city, our mission. God bless you. Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. Well, we're excited to have with us here Dave McCormick. He's a former CEO of Bridgewater Associates and former improbable future candidate for the United States Senate from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, David, how are you, sir? Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be on, and uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I'm in the middle of this uh, book tour for my new book, Superpower and Peril, so I'm a little exhausted, but uh, otherwise, all is good. Well, uh, we, we can't wait till you uh, visit Erie again, so I want to not bury the lead here. Uh, as we talk about superpower in peril, what's the number one takeaway that you would wish policymakers and opinion leaders from a legacy city like Erie, what do you wish that they would take away from your book? Well, the, the most important thing is that America's in decline. Um, economically, uh, you know, uh, record high inflation, uh, unprecedented levels of, of debt, $31 trillion. Uh, you know, the American dream slipping away. National security-wise, we're, um, we're losing our place in the world. And spiritually, there's a, a chipping away at some of the fundamentals of what's made America great. Uh, but decline's not inevitable, uh, but neither is renewal. It depends on what we do. And with the right policies and the right leadership, we can renew America. And that's what this book is about. The, our superpowers in peril, but there's a path forward. And, uh, and this, this book is the path forward by educating our people and confronting China and securing America. You start chapter one with a quote from Charles Krauthammer that, that is, quote, uh, decline is a choice. I even tweeted that out. Why would our leaders choose decline or did it come uh, organically, if you will? No, the policies and the leadership we've had have, have led to decline. Um, let me give you an example. You know, the, the, the spending that we've had uh, over the last uh, two decades, but particularly over the last two years, under President Biden's really unprecedented. We've we've got a forty percent increase in discretionary spending. Uh, we've got you know inflation that's now required our Federal Reserve to raise rates, which um, is likely to put our economy in recession. So I can go through the different pieces of it, but but decline is a result of either poor leadership decisions or no leadership. And uh, the good news about that is that with the right policies and the right leadership, we can turn things around. And that's what superpower and peril. Uh, my book is all about. 
Uh, and this is kind of uh, bipartisan, uh, poor decision making, uh, don't you say? I um, in the book there. Yeah, in some yeah, in some ways. I mean, I think what's happening now with the with the progressive part of the Democratic Party is really accelerating um, our risk and accelerating decline. But one of the things I say in the book is that the Republican Party has also been sleepwalking um, for the last couple decades. And, you know, there is this idea that, uh, you know, globalization and uh, and free trade would uh, would would really uh, help all Americans. And it didn't. And there's a, a big chunk of America that's been left behind over the last two decades. And I, I saw these I saw this up close and personal on the campaign trail where, you know, if you had assets over the last 20 years, then you got a lot richer. But if you're living month to month uh, or you're living on a fixed income, you know, real income stayed the same. Inflation is uh, chipping away at your buying power. You know, fentanyl is is destroying these communities. And so, uh, you know, we're headed in the wrong direction. And so and, and the Republican Party. Uh, is responsible for, for for a lot of that as well, and this is the thing that uh, I think President Trump tapped into uh, when he won the election in 2016. And so what uh, what I lay out in my book is the battle plan for um, for fixing these problems, and that's uh, again educating our people and confronting China. Really, a holistic strategy for a whole of nation strategy for confronting China, and then a number of things to secure America, including reforming our institutions because part of the problem is not just the policies but we've got you know we've got this uh, ideology that's chipping away at basic things like merit and uh how exceptional america is and and so forth so um so the agenda i lay out is across all those different areas and it relies on traditional conservative principles like you know small government and america plays a unique role in the world and uh, market forces but it also recognizes that that hasn't worked for a lot of Americans. So we need to do unique things to make sure that uh, the American dream is available for everybody. David McCormick's on the phone with us here uh, uh, on Talk Erie. You call superpower in peril, quote, a battle plan to renew America. And you kind of alluded to it in your last comments. Who are we fighting against, David? Well, we're fighting, we're fighting a battle at home and we're also fighting a battle abroad. At home, you know, we got to go to the gym is the way I describe it. You know, we we need to do the things that are necessary to build our strength at home. We need to fix our education system. We're we're 22nd in the world in terms of our of of our secondary education among advanced economies. That's that's uh that's that's terrible. Uh we uh we don't have adequate skilled worker uh capabilities. We're not training people to have the American dream that should be available to everybody. Um, you know, so part of it is we need to do the work at home to make sure we have technology leadership, to make sure our economy is vibrant and delivers on the American dream for everybody. But at the same time, we have to have a strategy for confronting China abroad because China poses an existential threat. So part of the book is about the policies that we need to reduce our dependent on dependence on China by strategic decoupling, bringing key industries home as an example. Like we learned during COVID that 90% of the semiconductors that we need in America are manufactured 90 miles from mainland China in Taiwan. Completely unacceptable. We, we saw that our pharmaceutical supply chains are dependent on China. So we got to bring some of those things home, the most important things home for manufacturing. We've got to confront China on terrible things like COVID, 
Um, you know, this idea that the virus started in Wuhan and probably started in a Wuhan lab, that seems like that's something we should have uh, been able to have a discussion about and gotten to the bottom of COVID three years ago, and the Chinese have not cooperated and, you know, continue with their human rights abuses. And the final thing we need to do is make sure that companies that are investing in China aren't doing that in a way that's going to help the Communist Party or the PLA. China's our biggest adversary, and yet there's Silicon Valley companies that are investing in artificial intelligence in China in ways that's helping the, the Communist Party. So we need a we need a whole of nation strategy for dealing with China. Um, I think President Trump did a good job of identifying China as an adversary, but now we need a whole plan to go make sure that we continue to have our place in the world. And China's got a plan. China's got a plan to displace America. If you just look at the news this last week, trying to broker a peace agreement in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, China's doing a deal with Saudi Arabia and Iran. Listen, China's out to be the, the global superpower, and we got to act if we're going to keep our place in the world. You know, even though you spend dozens of pages delineating how far America has come from what you call the pinnacle of the unipolar moment of America's greatness, you're pretty optimistic about our prospects if we focus on the projects that you prescribe. But my question is, hasn't our baseline of core values as Americans changed fundamentally? Yeah, that's a real that's a real problem. Um, and uh, I talk about that in the book because our decline is not just economically. Our decline is not just in military capability relative to China and others, but our decline is spiritual. And um, and and what I mean by that is there's a there's a, a progressive ideology that's permeating um, our institutions, whether it's the military or our schools or business, uh, and that is chipping away at some basic ideas. So, as an example, in the military, in the army, where I, I served in the army, I was a combat vet in the army, a West Point grad, and the army released its climate change strategy. Under Joe Biden, before it released its war fighting strategy, yeah. that seems like a very misplaced priority. Um, during COVID, we saw that our we saw parents saw up close and personal that schools are teaching uh, a version of American history that that I don't think either one of us would recognize because uh, rather than describing America as is really the greatest country in the world in terms of uh, bringing people out of poverty, in terms of a country that was conceived with the idea of personal and individual liberty and that the government serves the people uh, in terms of, uh, of you know, the, the fact that we have been on a constant path to self-improvement. So whatever uh, dark chapters there's been with racism and so forth, we've always looked to be, to improve ourselves and be better. That's not the history that's being taught of America. What's the history is, is a, a nation conceived in sin. Mm -hmm. The reason that's so important is because if you don't grow up thinking America is special, thinking America is exceptional, then you don't understand why you got to work so hard to preserve it. And that's really what the book's about, is about the leadership required to preserve it. And so I agree with you. I think this spiritual piece, uh, as I refer to it, is a big part of the kind of leadership we need to take us forward. Let's quickly talk about the three focuses of your plan in Superpower in Peril. You talk about talent, technology, and data. <laughs> Well, listen, if you, you know, one of the great assets we have as Americans is uh, the American spirit, American entrepreneurship, American workers. 
And, um, and as I was just describing, I think our education system is chipping away at that, both in terms of the knowledge our kids have. So, um, you know, only 30% of the kids that graduate from high schools today uh, can do basic college math or English. Uh, only um, uh, we're 22nd in the world in terms of our education system. And, um, and, and that's not what's needed to compete. So we need to fix our schools. And a big part of that is choice, giving parents the right to pick the schools and having the kids have the money that we're devoting as taxpayers to schools that they can take with them. School choice is what will break the back of the teachers unions and really bring performance back to our schools. And so we need to do that. That's been talked about for a long time. But I think we now have a moment where people, parents in particular, got close to schools during COVID. And so that's a big part of this is is improving our education process. And, you know, when we have school choice, the people that helps the most are blue collar kids like where I grew up or um, or minorities, uh, because uh, they have now choice to, to pursue the best school opportunities for them. That's a big part of it. The other big part, which I saw in the campaign trail in Pennsylvania, time and again, I'd meet manufacturing, you know, guys who ran machine shops or uh, or manufacturing firms and their biggest problem of fracking the biggest problem was they didn't have adequate skilled labor so we need to devote a lot of energy and time to make it sure not everybody has to have a college degree there's great terrific opportunities to have technical skilled jobs if we have the right training uh, to help people participate in in our economy um, the the growth and dynamism that we should have and to have the American dream and we need to devote Public resources are doing that. Pell grants, veterans benefits. I took advantage of the GI Bill when I get out of the Army. We need to have the GI Bill and Pell grants support skilled training that's not necessarily going to be a four-year degree, but is going to arm our workers with what they need to be able to compete. And that's the kind of thing that people in Erie, I suspect, uh, would be interested in because you know we've got these great workers. We've got these great industries that need to be coming back to the United States when we decouple from China. And now the question is, how do we make sure that our workforce can take advantage of those opportunities? Right now, right now, there's lots of gaps in the ability of, uh, of, of managers of businesses to hire the skilled workers they need. And so that's a huge opportunity. When we talk about technology, um, you know, you talk about how we were leading, but uh, we really need a lot more uh, maybe public investment there. How do you how do you, you know, kind of dance that line between crony capitalism and and real uh, sustainable investment from the government? It's a great it's a great question, because um, the, the problem I see today is that China's winning. China is a techno-authoritarian model. They've made technology leadership uh, at the core of their strategy, and it's it's at the core of you know the economy today in America, but also our national security. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> that showed this study from this Australian think tank, and it showed that China this this uh, think tank argued that China was in the lead for thirty seven of the 44 most important technologies for, for both economic well-being, but national security, satellite technology, artificial intelligence, uh, robotics, all these things we're reading about. So that's a crisis. And the reason that's happening is because China's very focused on it and, uh, and we're not. So there's two things I suggest in the book, Superpower and Peril. The first is we need to have the government 
support basic R&D. This is something that the private sector has never done um, because it, it doesn't turn into profits anytime soon. But it's critical for a country to, to stay on the technological edge. And in 1950, uh, when we were uh, coming out of the Cold War, or coming out of World War II, rather, we had about twice as much spending on basic R&D in the United States than we do today as a percentage of the economy, as a percentage of GDP. So we need to increase that. The second thing we need to do is do something very, very different than what China does and very different what the, than what the Democrats are saying we should do, which is we need to create government incentives through tax breaks or, or the government co-investing in the private sector in ways that push capital to those technologies that are going to be most important for America's strength, most important for America's economy. And, um, and, and the key to avoiding the crony capitalism that you mentioned is making sure the government plays no role in deciding where the money goes, who invests in what, letting the private sector drive capital to the places where they, where they think they're going to get the biggest return. And by doing that, we're going to create great paying jobs. We're going to create leadership in these key technology areas, and we're going to enhance our security. Right now, we're losing the game. We don't even have a plan. Uh, as I said, the Chinese have a plan. We got to deal with that. Are, are you seeing anything in any of the Biden plans, including that that infrastructure bill last year, that were beneficial towards uh, this goal of yours of technology uh, prowess? Yeah. Well, of the three, there was three big pieces of legislation which increased our, you know, our spending by about ten trillion dollars yeah. over the next uh, ten years. I mean, this was huge, and this is a big reason why we have inflation is the enormous increase in spending. So I, mm-hmm. I want to make sure we, we put, the, put the, the, the focus on where that inflation is coming from. It's coming from, from, all, from too much spending, and the Biden administration has been at the forefront of that. Of the three pieces of legislation, there was the uh, infrastructure bill. Uh, there was the Inflation Reduction Act, which is probably the most <laughs> misnamed, <laughs> misnamed uh, piece of legislation in history. Right. And there was the CHIPS Act. The CHIPS Act is the one that I think had the right goal. The goal was to bring fabs home where semiconductors could be manufactured at home. Just to put in perspective, China's manufactured 31 fab sites. This will be the first one in America in 10 years. Um, So the sentiment's right. It's it's not going to change the landscape. Uh, It's not designed in a way. It's going to help a little bit on the margin. The problem I have with it is that just a few weeks after the legislation passed, the Commerce Department released its um, its new rules, and it basically gave all sorts of guidance to the chip manufacturers on how they're going to conduct their business, environmental standards, daycare, a whole series of other things. And that's the problem with industrial policy. Problem one is the government picks who the money goes to, and problem two is it comes with all sorts of obligations directed by government bureaucrats <clears throat> as opposed to letting the private sector invest capital based on where they have the highest return. So the sentiment was right. I applaud that. But the conception of it and the design of it was was flawed in the ways I described. Let's take a minute and talk about data, that third prong there. Yeah, the thing I, I, I say in the book is, you know, there was an article in The Economist a, a couple of years ago that said data is the new oil. You know, mm. of, it's of that amount of strategic importance. And, and I agree that data is probably – the most important strategic asset that people aren't focused on, but but it's different than oil because you can use data over and over again. And data gives a lot of power to the country 
that manages it wisely because it's a big driver of innovation and it's also a big driver of control. And because China is a techno-authoritarian government, they have complete control of their data. And uh, they, in, in some ways, have access to our data too, which I'll talk about in a minute. So we need a strategy. We need a strategy to harness data to drive innovation in our country, but we also need a strategy to protect ourselves from the pre predatory behavior of companies or China. So right now we don't have adequate uh, privacy standards for our data. A good example, when I buy a pair of sneakers online, for the next six weeks I get advertisements for all sorts of new shoes. 100%. That should scare us all, right? That yeah. should scare us all. Right? Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Who's, who's your data getting sold to? Who has access to what? So we've got to create the right privacy standards. We've got to uh, work with other countries and with uh, ourselves internally to use data anonymously to drive innovation. A good example is a COVID virus, um, the COVID vaccine rather, the fact that the um, pharmaceutical companies pulled together their data was a big reason they were able to make advancements as quickly as they are. And the final thing on this is we need to, we need to check big tech. And uh, you know, I'm a I'm a small government conservative. I've I've always believed that a small government uh, in service of the people was best. This is one area where I think the government needs to play a, a bit more of an active role, because social media is corroding uh, society in many ways. The information that we all get is increasingly from social media. It's highly imbalanced in favor of a of a of a progressive left agenda. And, uh, and as a result, we don't really have a marketplace of ideas, and we really don't have um, a, a true understanding of the facts. A good example is the, the COVID virus I mentioned earlier, which was for three years now, the idea that the uh, COVID could have been conceived in a lab in Wuhan, um, which seemed obvious if it was created in Wuhan, that there was probably some connection or could be a connection at least to the labs. But that was that was uh, suggested in social media. That was a conspiracy theory. We couldn't have a real debate on that. Now, here we are in the last uh, couple months. We see that many of the intelligence agencies surmise that uh, it, there probably was a connection with the Wuhan lab. Why wasn't that discussed? Because the liberal media and social media in general was pushing that narrative um, underneath the underneath the carpet. So we need to bring some some specific accountabilities to big tech particularly as it, as it relates to social media. We're talking to David McCormick. His new book is Superpower in Peril, A Battle Plan to Renew America. And David, you finished the book uh, uh, talking about transformational leadership. Right now, when it comes to politics, people are searching for a leader like a thirsty man in the desert. Why are you that leader, Dr. McCormick? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not making the case in the book that I'm that leader, uh, and I don't think there's any one leader that's going to you know, uh, take us down this path. I think it's going to require a lot of people coming together uh, around an agenda uh, for moving the country forward. And you know, the, the thing I say in the book is you, know, you have to have ideas, but you have to have leaders that, that, that can win elections, can win primaries and win general elections, and carry those ideas forward. And, and one of the things I talk about in the book uh, is, you know, and people say to me, the cover of the book is pretty stark, like superpower and peril, big red, bold letters. Yeah. But then the book's, op the book's optimistic, right? Right. And the reason the book's optimistic is because I lived through it in the late 70s where we had, you know, 16% inflation. The country, the country was in recession. We had gas lines. We had odd days and even days. 
uh, to get gas. I don't know if you remember that. I was 14, 15 at the time. I'd yeah. sit with my dad in the gas line on odd days. We had Desert One, which um, you know we lost eight service members in the desert trying to rescue our Iranian hostages. It felt a lot like Afghanistan last August when we had that you know dis- disgraceful exit and, and lost uh, service members. So uh, 80% of Americans, just like today, thought the country was headed in the wrong direction. And then four years later, I was a, a plebe at West Point, walking down those walkways, that beautiful Hudson Valley, and America was back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was morning in America. We had, uh, you know, inflation was in check. The economy was growing. Our military was being built up. The Cold War ended six years later. And the reason I tell that story is because leadership matters. It matters to have uh, the right people in place to take the country in the right direction. I'm not saying the, and that was Ronald Reagan. I'm not saying Ronald Reagan's policies of then are the right policies for us now. I, I'm, I'm recommending in the book what I think the policies for, for this moment are, but leadership is the key ingredient uh, to take ideas and make them reality. And that's, uh, that's what I'm hoping we'll see in 2024. The uh, the question of competency comes up a lot these days on my radio show. It feels like, uh, again, talk about that decline, that we can't do anything right right now. I mean, we have 40-year inflation. We don't, you know, you've well articulated the problems here. Um, but we've got a lot of smart people in Washington. What is it that, that would take kind of, you know, changing that narrative and flipping – Flipping the pendulum, if you will. Well, you know, I think these things hit um, hit breaking points or inflection points where, um, you know, you get to, you know, as I said, you sort of get to the edge of the cliff mm. in terms of our challenges, and we and we pull, we pull ourselves back. I think the severity of the situation will will require seriousness. Um, right now, I think our political environment is, you know, is heavily polarized, and I think it's very easy to focus on the other team or look backwards. And the thing I'm arguing in the book is say, listen, we need to, as, as, conser- as a conservative, we need to be strong in holding um, uh, President Biden and, and the progressive left accountable for the bad things that are happening, the, uh, you know, the fentanyl crisis, the open borders, the inflation. We, we need to call balls and strikes, but, but we also need to look forward. And uh, the people I met on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania they want to hear how you're going to fix inflation, not right. just that Joe Biden uh, created inflation. <laughs> they want to hear how you're going to solve the fentanyl crisis or deal with manufacturing, uh, you know, pouring out of our state. So, I think that uh, the seriousness of the moment will push us towards solutions, and uh, and leaders who can who can lead. And um, and that's why I'm hoping this book. You know, I, I say this with humility. I hope this book will be something that you know others can look to as a as a as a battle plan or as a, a blueprint. For the kinds of things we need to do, I'm not expecting you know everybody's going to agree with everything I say, but hopefully this kind of thinking, that is uh, solutions dedicated to solving the problems of our time, uh, and ensuring we have leadership going forward, I, I think that's what will likely emerge. I've got less than two minutes with David McCormick here, and I have to ask you. Uh, you know, talking about the competitiveness of Pennsylvania, because some of our problem here uh, is being able to keep our young, bright people. I mean, we are a net exporter of the best and brightest. We have that brain drain out of PA, um, and we're competing with the Tennessees and the Texases. Uh, is there? Th- do you have thoughts about that? As as someone who who be more than likely will be running a statewide campaign. Uh, in, across the this Commonwealth. 
Well, you know, I, I lived for, um, I was born in Pittsburgh, but then I grew up in Northeastern Pennsylvania in, in Bloomsburg. But, but after the army, I came back to Pittsburgh and I was part of that Pittsburgh Renaissance. Yeah. And a lot of the ideas, uh, and I, I ultimately ran a company in Pittsburgh that, that had 600 employees in Pittsburgh. And, uh, it was a big part of that renewal. And, you know, those basic building blocks of investment and talent, uh, and creating the right opportunities and the partnership between business and, and the universities creating these, these spots that can become, um, you know, really draws for talent. And when you have companies like, uh, you know, Google and Apple and all the moving into Pittsburgh, that's the formula that I describe in the book. It, it needs to evolve a bit in the ways I describe. But, but we've done this before. We know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts with, again, you know, leadership. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it starts with leadership and vision. And, um, and that's what we need for the country. And, and that's what we need for Pennsylvania. And, and frankly, you know, we have for the first time in, in 76 years in Pennsylvania, we have two Democrats as, uh, uh, as senators. And, you know, I just as, as a matter of ideas, I think the, the ideas of the progressive left, which both represent are, are taking the country in the wrong direction. And I think we need a clear conservative vision at, 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 across the country, but in Pennsylvania, for taking us in the other direction. And you know, we need to have a good debate around the ideas and what's working and what's not working. And uh, what I say in the book, Superpower and Peril, is our current policies aren't working. And here's an alternative for taking us forward. Last question for David McCormick. How significant of a role do you think that Erie County will play in next year's statewide elections, both presidential and Senate? You know, I, uh, well, Erie is a very important part. I was uh, fortunate during my last campaign to spend a lot of time uh, in Erie and uh, came to love it. I want to spend time, I want to spend time in the spring and summer as well as the winter. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's a very, it's a very important part. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do in the future. Honestly, I haven't decided whether I'm going to run again or not. But one of the great uh, joys of uh, of campaigning was getting to know all of our Commonwealth and uh, spending time in Erie was a big part of that. David McCormick, uh, former CEO of Bridgewater Associates and former impossible future candidate for U.S. Senate from the Commonwealth here. And his book is Superpower, Superpower in Peril, A Battle Plan to Renew America. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be with you again. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>